The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, we're going to talk to my good buddy, Jeff Kerr, from CBS Sports and Jacob Sports Media. We're going to chat about... The Eagles search for a new defensive coordinator and the search for an offensive coordinator as well, although I think we have a better idea who that is going to be. We'll talk a little bit about where Jalen Hurts stands among quarterbacks in the NFL. I wrote a piece for Bleeding Green Nation that I'm going to talk about here in just a minute as well. Plus, we'll get his thoughts on what the Eagles might do in free agency to rebuild a Super Bowl roster that is set to lose a number of guys in free agency. We'll talk about all that stuff coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. So let's jump into the latest news regarding defensive coordinators. Uh, we've had a number of names pop up onto our radar this week, and some of those names have dropped off the radar just as quickly. One of the names that has dropped off the list is Jim Leonard, who I think a lot of folks were excited about, the defensive coordinator for Wisconsin the last few years. Uh, they've decided mutually not to pursue uh, this position, Leonard was planning on taking a year off. I think there's some health issues that were going on with Leonard. Um, so uh, that is, uh, that's one guy who is off the list that I think a lot of people were excited about. He's, he's done a lot with not a whole lot in Wisconsin. You know, he has, has, doesn't have the blue chippers that a lot of these SEC teams have and yet has had one of the best defenses in college football these last few years. Of course, T.J. Edwards played for him while he was at Wisconsin as well. Uh, another name that has dropped off the list, Vance Joseph, is going to return to Denver as their defensive coordinator. Vance Joseph would have probably brought a little bit of a shift in defensive philosophy, a 3-4 type style with more of a blitzing type scheme uh, than what we've seen these last few years with Jonathan Gannon and Jim Schwartz, for that matter. So uh, he's off the table as well. Some of the other names that are out there that I'll be talking about with uh, Jeff in just a few minutes, it's Chris Shula uh, could be a guy um, who is uh, who, who's brought aboard. It sounds though, um, as the uh, Michigan Wolverines defense, uh, pardon me, the uh, Rams pass game coordinator, defensive backs coach. Uh, he's a guy that um, has already interviewed with the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles have also interviewed Jesse Minter, who has been the Michigan Wolverines defensive coordinator. Uh, Mike Garofolo uh, tweeted that information out. So those are two guys that uh, we wrote about for Bleeding Green Nation, and you can see a little bit more about. We'll ask uh, Jeff about them as well. Denard Wilson, an in-house candidate to keep an eye on. Sean Desai from the Chicago Bears, uh, another name who could be maybe now the top contender if you're looking at guys from the outside at this point. Um, either way, whatever, and I wrote about this for Bleeding Green Nation this week, 
the Eagles have a cross are at a crossroads here in terms of defensive philosophy. They they have to decide whether or not they're going to continue on in the style of Jonathan Gannon, which was of course the Vic Fangio style defense, where you're um, not not being too aggressive. You're you're playing back. We heard Brian Dawkins this week say that he would have gone crazy playing in this defensive scheme because it really is a passive scheme. You're you're doing everything you can to not give up the big play, but you're doing it at the expense of seven and eight yard plays, which as we've seen great quarterbacks do routinely beat this defense playing that way unless your front four is overwhelming people and your front four doesn't get home every week and so I just I would love a defensive coordinator that can do different things that can come out and I guess maybe this is just not the way defenses are done nowadays and I'm you know interested in what Jeff thinks I, I would love to have a defensive coordinator that can come in one week and go blitz heavy on you then that can come in the next week and play a Jonathan Gannon type defense you know, keep an offense on on their toes, not knowing what they're going to get from week to week. I think Bill Belichick was really good at that when the Patriots defenses were at their zenith. You never really knew what you were going to get from a Patriots defense, from a Bill Belichick coached defense. Are they going to press at the line today? Are you going to are they going to be sending extra guys all day? Or are they going to play back? Are they going to come with a 4-3? Are they going to maybe throw a 3-4 at you? And I know you can't do 4-3, 3-4 week to week. Hey, what are you going to do this week? Because you have personnel that you need to that that you be that you need to to formulate your defense around. And I think any defensive coordinator who comes in here is going to have to work with a different set of players than what Jonathan Gannon had to work with. He's going to he's going to have to deal with younger players. They're obviously not going to be able to go out and sign stud veteran defensive players at every position. Right there, there's going to be guys out there that are maybe in their second year or their third year. You know, you're going to be expecting more from Nicobe Dean here in in year number two. Can you do as much with him? Do you have to do less with the linebackers? Does he give you more flexibility? Right. I mean, we don't really know yet with with Nicobe Dean. We don't know yet what Jordan Davis is going to be. Can he give you something close to what Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox did in 2023? He's he's going to have to because both those guys are not coming back. I don't think. Maybe none of those guys are coming back, which means Milton Williams has to also step up. He played really well as your fourth defensive tackle this year, but can he do more? Or do they need Jordan Davis to be a Linval Joseph type player and just clog up a hole? And if so, how do you generate that that pass rush from the inside? Are you then, if you can't get that 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 pass rush from the inside just from those tackles, well, then do you have to bring it with more linebackers blitzing? In which case, what do you do with N'Kobe Dean? Does he become a blitzing guy? Do you go out in the free agent market? Do you invest a, an early round draft pick in a linebacker to to change your philosophy? And if so, do you bring in a defensive coordinator who is more willing to blitz with your linebackers, to blitz with your safeties? And what does that mean for CJGJ? There are all kinds of questions right now with regard to what you do defensively. I don't think you can run it back scheme wise. It's it's not the Eagles fans are not going to are not going to tolerate another defense that operated the way Jonathan Gannon's defense did. I I don't care how good that defense performed in the first half. And again, Patrick Mahomes just didn't have the ball in the first half. They did not get a single stop in the second half and blew a historic lead in the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, I know 10 points, a 10-point halftime lead in the Super Bowl is not the same as during the regular season. Lots of teams blow 10-point leads in the regular season. But it's only the second time that it's happened in 57 Super Bowls. It was a historic collapse, what we saw from the defense. Everyone, no matter how you feel about Jonathan Gannon, should understand that that just can't happen in the Super Bowl. I don't care how good Patrick Mahomes is. I don't care how good Andy Reid is. When you look at the talent that that Eagles defense had, 
they can't blow a 10-point lead. I get it. You were expecting that front four to get home, but it didn't happen because of the field. And that was a that was a major factor. And then in that case, you have to say, okay, look, the field has thrown us a curveball. It's not allowing us to do what we typically like to, like to do. I got to have something else in my tool belt here. I want a defensive coordinator that can that can deal with a curveball like that and not just simply say, well, this is what we were planning, so we got to stick with it and hope that it works, even when it's flying in the face of reality of what you're dealing with. But I'll be very curious about this defensive coordinator search and this and this ne- this new hire, whether it will be someone along the Jonathan Gannon vein or whether it will be a departure. Because I do think we're at a crossroads here in terms of this defense. You're gonna there's gonna be a number of guys who are coming back. It's still gonna be a good defense. You're gonna have those edge rushers coming back, and that's gonna be really good to have that consistency. I think Brandon Graham will be back. And you have Hassan Reddick and you have Josh Sweat. You have these guys who can continue to to rush off the edge. And you're probably going to invest in an early first-round draft pick, either your number 10 or your number 30, in an edge rusher or a defensive tackle. What Maybe maybe both. Maybe you get a DT at 10 and you get a defensive end at, at 30. You're probably looking for a cornerback in one of those two spots. So you're going to have to decide between two of the three. But I imagine you're looking in, in those in those particular positions with 10 and 30. And you're going to help build that way. And then you need the defensive coordinator to look at what you have and decide what to do. I think defensive coordinators, more than anything else, need to be flexible. I guess it's really hard to find a defensive coordinator who can be flexible based on his personnel. But I just, I hate the idea of, I've got a scheme, and I've got to make the scheme work, even if the players, even if it doesn't work with the players, and even if it doesn't work with the opponent that you're facing. They've got to figure out a defense that's going to beat great quarterbacks. Or at the very least, slow them down a little. Get a stop when you need one. And and they can't run it back with the same type of defense that they had before. One of the other things I want to talk to Jeff about is where he thinks Jalen Hurts is among the NFL's upper echelon. One of the stories I wrote for Bleeding Green Nation this week was just how far up the rankings that Super Bowl performance has catapulted Jalen Hurts. When you look back to where he was One year ago today, I was going back and reading through a number of different football outlets and where they had Jalen Hurts ranked after his playoff performance against the Buccaneers. It's unbelievable where he was then to where he is right now. NBC Sports Philadelphia had him at number 23 among NFL quarterbacks. Pro Football Network had him placed at number 17. NFL.com had him rated number 17. Pro Football Focus had him up as high as number 11, which was one of the highest spots among NFL outlets. A year ago, NFL.com's ranking had him listed as this. Hurts saving his worst start of the season for the playoffs knocks him down a few spots. He held the ball, didn't see the field, and didn't shoot straight against the Bucs. That doesn't that doesn't erase the gains that came after his 15 other starts, where his pocket passing took a huge step forward. His running ability gives him a high baseline, and he's a solid starting quarterback at worst, which is quite a find for a highly criticized second-round pick. So, a generous write-up, ranking him number 17. NFL.com moved him up from number 17 to number 2 right now. 
They wrote about him, Mahomes operated heroically during a dominant second half, but Philly's prized gem answered time and again, playing through a banged-up shoulder to whip a slew of masterpieces and dominate Kansas City with a Super Bowl record three quarterback scores on the ground. Entering the season on a theoretical tryout to keep his job, Hurts's growth was visible right away. He maximized A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith to unleash an air attack that often put opponents to sleep early. He's become one of the game's mightiest rumblers from the position. I realize our index should focus mostly on entirely on physical exploits. Hertz easily checks those boxes, but it's impossible for me, this is again NFL.com speaking, to ignore his leadership. His grounded response to a challenging Super Bowl defeat was built of something rare. The Eagles and their quarterback will find a way back to football's grandest stage. And they're not alone. PFN has Hertz at number four behind Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Burrow. PFF has him fifth with Tua Tagovailoa somehow ranked ahead of him, and USA Today has him third with only Mahomes and again Tua, what's again with Tua, ranked ahead of him. And the question you have to ask yourself is, if you were offered a trade straight up for Jalen Hurts, would you do it? For Patrick Mahomes, yes. And I think I would probably do it for Joe Burrow. Those guys are that special. And that's why I have Hurts at number three. It's a maybe for Josh Allen or Justin Herbert. If you are someone who would pull the trigger on that deal, I, I wouldn't argue with you if you would, but I probably would not. I would keep Jalen Hurts over Allen or Herbert because Hurts has done something Allen and Herbert haven't. Gotten to a Super Bowl and played great in the Super Bowl. Burrow has also advanced to a Super Bowl and played great in a losing effort. But Hurts did something Josh Allen and Justin Herbert have not been able to do. Get to a Super Bowl and then play great in that game. But wherever you have Hurts ranked among the best quarterbacks in the NFL... You have to look at his ascension up the charts. And I don't know that you can ever remember, maybe aside from Josh Allen, a year-over-year jump that, like we've seen from Jalen Hurts. It really is something else. So if there's anything you want to take away from Super Bowl 57 that can help ease the pain a little bit, the legendary performance of Jalen Hurts and what it has meant and what it means for the Eagles moving forward is something to take away. He's, one of only, he's the only quarterback in the NFL.com's top seven. That plays in the NFC. Enough said there. All right, well, we're going to step away, take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jeff Kerr of CBS Sports about this stuff and about what the Eagles might do in free agency. We'll do all that stuff coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Well, joining me to talk about the birds and where they go from here in terms of defensive coordinator, in terms of free agency. And I want to pick his brain a little bit about the Super Bowl as well, because uh, Jeff was uh, was in Phoenix for a lot of that week. Jeff Kerr, of course, from CBS Sports. You follow him on Twitter at Jeff Kerr CBS. Uh, he's also with uh, 97.3 ESPN. Good morning, NFC East host for Jacob Sports. I've been on that show with him a couple of different times, and so it's always good to talk to my buddy Jeff about the birds. Jeff, welcome back to Eye on the Enemy. How are you, man? John, it's always a pleasure to be on, my friend. It's weird, though. It's the offseason. I'm not used to... And look, there is football on the weekends. I do watch the XFL, but... It is different now that the NFL season's over. So are you an XFL or USFL guy? I don't know either league. Are there are there people who are siding with one league or the other in the spring? I don't think there is. I think people are just like, wait, there's two of them now. There's two of them. Yeah. Right? How many football players are there in the world to, to fulfill these rosters? And look, I would love the XFL if it came to Philly. I'm intrigued by a lot of stuff Dwayne The Rock Johnson's doing and the XFL's doing. But I'm a guy that, and you know this, John, big baseball fan, big basketball yeah. fan. I coach basketball. I, I'm a big racing fan. I need a break from football. So if the <laughs> XFL's on and if Philly spring training's on, there's a pretty good bet I'm watching Philly spring training. Yep. 
Yep, I, I hear you. And everybody, I think, could use a little a little bit of a timeout from football after that Super Bowl. And let's let's talk about that real quick. I mean, I, I think most of us are done reliving that game and and the pain that it caused. I've been trying to find the positive aspects of it here over these last uh, couple of weeks because uh, it, it was a, a heartbreaker, probably the toughest loss in, in Eagles history. And I was at the Rondé Barber game and I will sit here and I will tell you that that Super Bowl 57, even though I'm more mature now and sports is, doesn't have quite the level of import in my life that it did when I was in my twenties. Right. But it's still Super Bowl 57 was still harder than the Rondé Barber game. But being there, you said something that was interesting to me as we were talking before we hit the record button about being prepared for the Super Bowl. And it certainly looked as though the offense was totally prepared for that Super Bowl. They came out guns blazing. The defense, of course, that second half collapse was historic. Only the second team in NFL history to blow a 10-point halftime lead. I know that happens a lot in regular season NFL games, but it had only happened once before in 57 and 56 previous Super Bowls. So Jonathan Gannon now in Arizona, you saw something during the course of the week about the preparedness of, of these two teams. Tell me what, tell everybody what you told me. So as someone who went to all the Chiefs stuff and all the Eagles stuff, the media sessions, I can tell you this, the Chiefs were way looser than the Eagles and the Eagles were loose. Don't get me wrong. I thought the Eagles were prepared for the game. But the Chiefs, everybody I talked to. And keep in mind, yes, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and those guys have been there before. But only 17 guys on that team played in the last Super Bowl. So there there was a huge roster turnover there. But you could tell, like, even the new guys on the offensive line, like Orlando Brown, uh, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, they were loose. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster was loose. He was as loose as could be going to that game. Uh, there were a lot of guys. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, like, they were all excited to put their stamp on this dynasty that was coming for Kansas City. And it, like Marquez Valdez-Scantling gave me a hard time because I said his name wrong and he was still loose. He's like, all right, man, all right, you know, the camera's on now. And uh, you know, we were laughing about it. It, it, you know, yeah. it. it was just, they just felt like a team like, okay, we did what we needed to do. We're here. Now we got to finish the job. And they gave the Eagles all the credit in the world. They said, look, this is easily going to be the toughest team we faced all, all year. They all praise Jalen Hurts. They know how good Jalen Hurts is. Uh, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, they, they couldn't wait to talk about guys like that. And they love how Nick Sariai coaches that team. They're an in-your-face team. And But when you went to the Eagles about it, the Eagles looked like, I don't want to say they were going through the motions, but they just didn't embrace the media sessions like the Chiefs did. And that's part of it. And really, the guys that did were the guys that were there before, like Jason Kelsey. Uh, Lane Johnson, like they, they were kind of praised. Jalen Hurts was focused the entire week. Jalen Hurts is like, all right, man, I'm going to tackle this Mia session just like I tackle a football game. S- same with Nick. I thought Nick was like that too, but I got a sense a lot of the players, like especially Wednesday, Thursday they were a lot more looser because I think they knew all that crap was done. But Wednesday it's like, man, we got to do this again. This is like the third time this week. It, it, it felt like it was getting a little tedious for the Eagles, but the Chiefs, Andy Reid kept it. I, I, I'm going to tell you this right now. Andy Reid, where they have in Scottsdale, it literally felt like Lehigh University. It, it was just, nah. it was just in the middle of nowhere. You know, let let's bunker down. Let's not get distracted. And I think the players embraced that. And I think they liked going out and doing all this stuff early and getting their day over with. Whereas the Eagles, it was at the end of their day. Okay. All right. I mean, I think the Eagles. Like you said, they came out ready to play. I thought I thought the the, the offense especially was totally zeroed in. I don't. I would not have thought that 
they were not ready to play. And you say, you know, of course they were, they were ready to play, but the defense was not ready for what the chiefs threw at them, especially in the second half. And the architect of that defense is now in Arizona. The Eagles are looking for a new defensive coordinator. We've seen a number of different names pop up here over the last uh, couple of weeks. A couple of those names dropped off over the last couple of days. Vance Joseph is going to go back to Denver and be the defensive coordinator there. Uh, Jim, uh, uh, Jim Leonard, uh, was it Jim Leonard? Yeah. Jim, Jim Leonard, right? Yeah, Je- yeah, yeah, Jim Leonard. Yeah, I said I said Jeff Leonard earlier in the day because I'm a big 1980s baseball fan, and Jeff Leonard was a very, very popular. That's player, what I was so, thinking. I'm like, wait a minute, is yeah. he the baseball player? Yeah, that's why I that's why I stumbled for a second. But Jim Leonard is is uh, it looks like going to take a year off from coaching with due to some health concerns. I think a lot of people were excited about the possibility of him coming to Philadelphia. All the names that you've seen out there so far, who do you think is the best fit for the next uh, for the next DC? Uh, right now, I like Sean Desai. Uh, I-, I wouldn't mind Vance Joseph. I don't think it would have been a quote-unquote sexy name, even though he is an established defensive coordinator in this league, which I think a lot of the fans want. But Sean Desai, if you look at the Bears' defense from the year he was there in 2021 to 2022, it's completely different. And I know that they got rid of Rokon Smith, they got rid of Robert Quinn, but look at the year Robert Quinn had under Sean Desai. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Robert Quinn obviously faced a lot of injuries this year. He's, you know, this is probably the end of his career. But still, Sean Desai had a really good pass rush. He had linebackers that got to the ball. His defense was aggressive, which I liked. And again, I like the way Jonathan Gant did run his defense. But you and I were talking about this before the show, John. It was, how is it going to fare against the elite quarterbacks, like the Patrick Mahomes, the Justin Herberts, the Josh Allens? Well, we saw how it did against Patrick Mahomes. They only held him to 180-some passing yards, but Patrick Mahomes was still able to pick him apart. I think when you got a quarterback with a high ankle sprain, Sean Desai is going to go after him with his pass rush. He's going to send multiple guys on the blitz. You know, it's not just going to be, let's rush the front four and we'll take our chances. So I, right. I like Sean Desai. I think with the personnel the Eagles have, Sean Desai is the best fit. I, I would have loved Jim Leonard here, though. I, I thought Jim Leonard would have been a more than ideal candidate if he wasn't getting hip surgery. Do you anticipate that there is going to be a philosophy switch here that, I mean, I just don't think they can bring in somebody who's going to do the same exact thing Jonathan Gannon did. Do you get the sense from the Eagles that they didn't love what Gannon was doing? Or, I mean, from everything they say, it's like they were offering him more money to stay, more money than he would get as a head coach to stay, which is bonkers to me. But do you get the sense that they want something a little different now, a different philosophy, change in scheme, that sort of thing? I think so. I, I think you're going to see wrinkles. I think they want, as you know, John, we grew up in an era where it was Buddy Ryan, Jim Johnson, yeah. you know, blitz, blitz, blitz. And blitzing isn't the way anymore, but you should be able to blitz more than what Jonathan Gant did. And th- this is what upset me with Jonathan Gant in the Super Bowl. The guy doesn't blitz pretty much all year. They decide to blitz in the Super Bowl. You decide to put more pressure on the quarterback than any other time the entire season. And I'm like, well, one the field's bad, so why are you doing this too? Why are you sending seven guys, you know, inside the 20? I, I, I don't understand yeah. a lot of the things Jonathan Gannon was doing in that game. I mean, I'll say, I'll say with the with the additional blitzing, it was because of the field. It was because he saw his edge rushers weren't getting home. They were slipping and sliding all over the place. And I, I guess he felt like at that point he had to. I just I just don't think the, the blitzes were disguised very well. And Mahomes is going to beat the blitz, but he's also going to beat man-to-man. He's also going to beat zone. To, to say, well, you can't blitz Mahomes because he beats the blitz, true, but he also beats everything else. And when you're playing back and, and, and playing 
playing soft and giving up eight yards on first down virtually every time you gotta, you gotta do something else. I just, it didn't seem like I, I just can't understand. I don't, I refuse to believe that Patrick Mahomes was so good that there was nothing he could have done to stop him. And that seems to be the argument I hear from the Gannon defenders. Yeah. And I agree with that. Uh, there's another thing I want to point out too. I think Jalen Mahomes did outplay Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, but I will say this. In a way, he didn't because Jalen Hurts made the mistake Patrick Mahomes did. Jalen Hurts had a fumble right. that was returned for a touchdown. That's nothing against Jalen Hurts. Still had an amazing game, but it's hard for me to swallow when you lose a game by three points and that seven-point swing had a big deal on it. Oh, it was a huge. I think it was the play of the game. As great as Hurts played, it was obviously the most damaging play of the game. And there's a couple other things too that were differences. Like there's so many parallels to Super Bowl Fifty Two, but it was just like it was almost as if like Super Fifty. You know what Super Bowl Fifty Seven was? If Super Bowl Fifty Two had played on a different timeline. You know, Super Bowl Fifty Two could have gone exactly like Fifty Seven if a couple things don't happen. Right? If in the, in the second half, the Eagles are forced to kick the field goal to go up 27 to 21, whereas in 52, the Eagles are scoring touchdowns in response to those Patriots' second-half touchdowns, right? They're answering touchdown for touchdown. The Eagles in the third quarter were not able to do that. The Eagles also had a three-and-out in the second half that— you know, right before the punt that led to uh, the Chiefs running it back all the way to the five-yard line. And then, of course, you did not get the strip sack, the Brandon Graham strip sack in that Super Bowl that they got in Super Bowl 52. So just, it's so funny. You, you, Super Bowl 52 so could very easily have gone the way of 57, if, if not for a couple of different things. And 57 could have very easily been exactly like 52 if they get one stop. If they score four more points instead of three points, if they don't fumble the ball, just so many different little ripples in the space-time continuum that could have made things so much different. And so I'm sitting next to Byron McFadden uh, from CBS Sports at the Super Bowl, and he goes to me, "What do you think?" And I said, "It's not a big enough lead." He said, "You serious? It's 24-14. It's ten points." I said, "Not a big enough lead." I said, "They gave him seven. It probably should have been twenty-four-seven, maybe even higher than that." I said, "I don't like how Andy Reid has thirty minutes and Patrick Mahomes has thirty minutes to get treatment." On his ankle. And yeah, and by the way, they got the ball in the second half, so they cut it. Right. And you're right, John. Like In Super Bowl 52, Nick Foles and Doug Peterson, it was pound for pound. We have a response to you, no matter what. We can't stop Gronk, that's fine. Your offense can't stop us. The Eagles did not have that in Super Bowl 57. It was, like you said, three and out or you know the, the field goal. Well, no, you can't do that against the Chiefs. You have to beat the Chiefs in a shootout. And I always said 27 was the magic number for the Chiefs. They had to hold the Eagles under 27. That's how impressive that win was for the Chiefs. The Chiefs are 55-3 and in the Mahomes era when they hold the team to 27 points or fewer. They're under 500 yeah. when they allow more than 27 points. So that's a big, big difference. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's take a look at what this team might look like here in 2023, and let's talk free agency. Uh, first of all, who do you think from within their own ranks the Eagles will bring back next year? I'd like to see him bring back James Bradbury, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm being realistic yeah. here. Um, I would love to see Javon Hargrave back in an Eagles uniform, but it all depends how much they trust Jordan Davis or that they think Jordan Davis is ready to go. Somehow I feel Fletcher Cox is going to come back on a reduced deal. I don't know why I think that, uh, you know, maybe Fletch might call it quits. I know... I don't want to say he's thought about that, but I think the thought crosses his mind. I would love to see mm -hmm. Fudge come back, but 
Again, reduced deal. We'll, we'll see. Fletch loves Philadelphia, honestly. Uh, Brandon Graham, obviously. I, I would love to see him back. But if we're talking about the key free agents here, I think Javon Hargrave would be one guy I'd love to see back, and I think they're going to find some way to bring C.J. Gardner-Johnson back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, C.J. G.J. has to be back. I mean, he's so young, and he he gives you something that you can't really find early in the draft, I don't think. And if you're going to go out and replace him in free agency, you might as well just sign C.J. G.J. So um, I know they said uh, there was a report this week that they might use the franchise tag on him. I don't see any way they do that. I mean, they don't use the franchise tag as an organization. They just they get deals done. Howie Roseman's great at that. So I do feel really confident they'll bring him back. But uh, I do think that they have guys that they drafted last year that they'll intend to slide into starting spots. I mean, Jordan Davis has to start next year and he has to, he has to show improvement. If they, if it doesn't, that's going to be an awful, awful draft pick as we look back on it. But again, a lot of injuries this year, concussion, uh, rookie season. He, he wasn't expected or asked to do a whole lot. He was awful in the Super Bowl, uh, but hopefully he can put that behind him and, and be the impact player. We thought he was going to be either filling in for Cox or for Hargrave. Uh, Cam Jurgens, you're expecting him to start next year. Hopefully not at center. Hopefully Kelsey comes back, but they probably move on from Sam Allo and he can slide in at guard there. And you're hoping N'Kobe Dean can can take over either for Kaiser White or TJ Edwards, depending on, on who they bring back. So you're looking at those three young guys. And Milton Williams, I think they're going to expect a little bit more from. He played very well this season in, in the limited snaps that he got. But as we're looking at some other spots on the field, I, I think you see Bradbury, I think you're right, is not coming back. So you're going to have a need at cornerback. You're going to need, have some need at defensive tackle. Uh, you might need to get another edge rusher running back. Certainly you're going to need to figure out probably somebody else to bring in to, to play with Kenny Gainwell. Do you see any free agents outside the organization that make a lot of sense to you that Howie Roseman might be targeting? It's funny because there is a guy I would love to see the Eagles sign, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. That'd be Deron Payne. I would love to see Deron Payne in the Eagles uniform. I think they're going to franchise him too. I don't think Washington's going to let him go. It sounds like they're going to franchise yeah, him. Yeah, that, that's what I think. And they're smart. I wouldn't let Deron Payne leave that building, honestly. And uh, I mean, Deron Payne to me, he's one of the best free agents out there. And I, I write the top 50 free agents before the season ended for CBS. And I had Payne 12 for that. Even after I published it, I said, man, I, I have him way too low. He probably should be higher. But, you know, you, you're thinking, okay, quarterbacks are going to have more value and certain players like Saquon Barkley are going to have more value because that's just how it is. But Deron Payne's a stud. I I, I mean, just, he's just a straight-up stud. He had a great finish to the year. But you're right. I think Washington franchises him. I know Eagles fans don't like him right now. Would it really be a bad idea to have Juju Smith-Schuster on this team? No, as a number three? Absolutely yeah, not. It, He'd be an ideal number yeah, three. You put him in the slot, A.J. Brown and <laughs> Devonta Smith, you got something cooking there. I mean, I, I think Juju could have a monster year if everybody— But can you can you bring TikTok boy to Philadelphia after all I, I don't think he can. I, I think he ruined this whole free agency <laughs> thing. I was actually going to send a joke out. I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? You're a free agent. You know you, you might not be back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't leave yourself open to being called TikTok boy. I mean, that's just, you, you can't, you, he can't come to Philadelphia. I would love to see it though. I think it'd be a great addition. And I, you know, Hey, listen, if, if he comes, everybody puts it behind them and they have a, a good laugh about it. So I'm being sarcastic. They absolutely could bring him in here for sure. And I think that would be a really good fit. I, I think it would too. It's funny too. Cause when he sent that, I kind of chuckled when I first saw them, like, oh, all right. Yeah. That is pretty good. Probably something you shouldn't put, 
But it was funny. But you know how everybody is. Everybody's got to take everything all sensitively. And it was only like less than 48 hours after the Super Bowl. So you knew you were going to get the responses. And A.J. Brown, who's been pretty good on Twitter uh, during the season, uh, I was like, oh, wait, we're getting all season A.J. Brown, the guy with the conspiracy theories and the guy with everything else. So you knew he was going to respond. And then, like, players are just – and I, I'm sincere about this. Everybody goes, no, everybody hates Juju. That, that's why players were defending Bradbury. I said, no. James Bradbury is a well-respected player in this league. Just talking to players yeah. around the NFL, it's not a hatred of Juju. It, it's a respect for James Bradbury. You just don't do that to a guy like him. Yeah. I really would love for them to figure out a way to bring Bad- Bradbury in, but I just don't think you can pay Bradbury and Slay and still figure out a way to get other Here's great players you, on John. that roster. Yeah. Would you keep Bradbury over Slay if you had the option? <sighs> Who's younger? Brad, Bradbury's a little younger, Bradbury's right? Bradbury's 29. Slay's 32, I think. I'd keep Bradbury. I would, too. Yeah, and I, yeah I'd keep and Bradbury. And honestly, I don't think Slay had a great finish to the year. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. I mean... No, he didn't. And, yeah, I mean, and then here's the thing, too. I don't know how much... And, again, this is all coming back to Gannon's scheme. How, how much did he hamstring guys like Slay from playing the way, maybe a more effective way of playing, you know, like not allowing him to challenge receivers at the line of scrimmage. Um, so it's being so afraid of giving up the, the big play. It really kind of takes away some of big play slays ability to make a big play, right? When you're trying to be overly cautious and not let guys get behind you and not get beat. So it's, you take the good with the bad. I don't remember slay getting lit up as a, as a cornerback really very much this year. He had a couple games where he did shut down guys early in the season, but he did not make the big plays that we, you're hoping to get out of him. So it's a, I know there's a lot more that goes to it than just Slay didn't have any interceptions, so he wasn't very good. But at the same time, Slay didn't have any interceptions, so <laughs> was, you wanted some more out of him. Yeah, exactly. And look, Bradbury had his big play in the playoffs, jump at Daniel Jones, which, uh, trust me, I know he felt good after that. Uh, he'll never yeah. he'll never admit it. He'll just smile. Like, when I interviewed Slay, when I had the camera on him, and Slay's doing his Slay stuff, I told people, you can't see it, but James Bradbury's just sitting at his locker right next to him, guy smiling in the background. He goes, hey, man, you do all the talk for me you want. You, I would love to see those two together because those two get along so well. C.J. Garner-Johnson gets along with them well. Same with Marcus Epps. Uh, you know, same with Reed Blankenship is starting to get in that group. It's There was a good vibe with that secondary group. It's hard to see them break up. But I, I don't know if Marcus Epps is going to be back, honestly. I think the Eagles really like Reed Blankenship. Yeah, I think so too. I think Blankenship ascends. I, I agree with that. I, I think they they feel like Blankenship can play a little bit better than uh, than than Marcus Epps, especially since Marcus can command a little bit more money on the open market. You save some cash there. And if you're going to bring CJ GJ back for, uh, for more money, you're going to need to kind of make that up in, in some way. So yeah, Blankenship played really well. Uh, and you know, you, th- you figure that experience makes him a better player next year as well. So you, you hope to see some improvement from, from a young guy like that. So yeah, I wrote for the, for bleeding this week that it's going to be, this defense is kind of at a crossroads right now. There are so many good players that, that they're going to lose or potentially keep. And you're looking for a new defensive coordinator and the draft. They have such, they have two first round picks they can use to, to add to the cornerback to replace Bradbury or to, um, to replace uh, Javon Hargrave, a defensive tackle or to add to the edge rushing room, because it's just such a strong edge rushing class. There's a lot of different ways that, uh, that this defense can go this off season. And it will be fascinating to see exactly which way they go. One last thing here for you, Jeff. I want to get your thoughts on where you have Jalen Hurts in terms of quarterbacks in the NFL. Another story that I wrote about for BleedingGreenNation.com this week was about his ascension. Going from last year at this time 
following his playoff loss to the Buccaneers to where he is now after that Super Bowl performance. Just as one example, and I had a number of different examples, NFL.com at the end of last year had him at number 17 overall among NFL quarterbacks. That was a pretty typical ranking. They had him at number two this year. And I probably have him at number three. I probably have Burrow ahead of him, but it's neck and neck. It's right there. At the very worst, I think most people would have him as low as five or six. That's a meteoric rise from last year to this year. After that Super Bowl performance, where do you have Jalen Hurts ranked among the best quarterbacks in the NFL? And I know you have traditionally been, even last year, one of the higher guys on Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I had Jalen Hurts as like 15th, 16th last year. I thought that was more than fair. And I've been saying all year from probably the fourth game on, I'm like, yeah, you guys know Jalen Hurts is top five quarterback in the league. And they're like, hey, he'll throw touchdowns. He'll do this. I'm like, you guys do know there's other ways to score touchdowns, right? And I'm still making this argument with people. People are like, you know, he has 22 touchdowns. I'm like, no, he doesn't. He had 35 touchdowns because he had 13 rushing touchdowns. And he's still the only quarterback in NFL history to have five rushing touchdowns in the postseason. He didn't throw a pick in the postseason. So he had eight touchdowns in three postseason games. Uh, to me, Jalen Hurts is top three, and uh, he's easily top five. I, I, I'm with you, John. I think I'd put Burrow at two just because of what Burrow has done, but Hurts outplayed Burrow in a Super Bowl, so two is more than fair. It, I, I mean, it's yeah. it's Mahomes, then you can honestly flip between Hurts and Burrow. I still think Josh Allen is up there. I think the Bills asked Josh Allen to do way too much, but what kills Josh Allen is he turns football over too much. and. Yeah, and Josh yeah. Allen admitted so to me. He goes, look, I know I do too much. And I have to kind of, he goes, how did he word it to me? I think he said, like, I'm going 125 miles per hour and I really should be going to Harvard or something like that. I, I He used, like, a mile per hour reference. And I'm like, I, I really like how this guy holds himself accountable. I, I still think Justin Herbert's up there. I think Trevor Lawrence is getting up there, honestly. Trevor, yeah. Trevor Lawrence is a really good quarterback. He's only going to get better with Doug. I still think Lamar's up there. Um, th- there are other guys I'm probably missing in in that list that I shouldn't be. Uh, you know, it, it's the offseason. You know, my brain's fumbling a little bit. I'm still thinking of the last game here. But Jalen Hurts is top three right now. And it's crazy to think that, that Jalen Hurts has taken this rise because no one thought he was going to be this good. But in today's NFL, I mean, look, th- they're trying to make a rule to stop him from scoring touchdowns. Think about right, think right, about right, that. Right. It's an absolute joke, by the way. I'm like, or maybe other quarterbacks should learn how to do this, or you know, I don't get it. But honestly, I think Jalen Hurts is going to be even better next year with Brian Johnson. And look, this is how much I think the Eagles are going to miss Shane Steichen. I have heard multiple times. Justin Herbert has asked me multiple, multiple times. I've interviewed him in the offseason. How's Shane doing? How's Shane doing? He hasn't been his offensive <laughs> coordinator in three years. How's Shane doing? It, it, you know, yeah. Shane Steichen meant so much to Justin Herbert. I know Jalen loves him. I, I've asked Jalen about That's one of the few times Jalen Hurts will give you like an honest answer, by the way, on Shane Steichen. I think Shane Steichen is going to be great with the Colts, no matter who his quarterback is. I think he's going to find a franchise guy and groom him and develop him. But And Brian Johnson is going to be great for Jalen Hurts as well because the, the, those two are, you know, the, I'm trying to think of it. They're like peanut butter and jelly, honestly. Like, they get along so well. Brian Johnson's done that family forever. I mean, Jalen Hurts is that coaching for crying out loud. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I think that's going to work out really well. But, man, Jalen Hurts is a stud. I, I, I really do think we're going to see an Eagles Chiefs Super Bowl again. I think we're going to see a Mahomes Hurts re- rematch real soon. 
Oh, man, I'd like it to be someone else, but that would be a lot of fun to see those two teams go at it again uh, next year. Well, listen, folks, we got a long offseason ahead of us. It's shorter than normal because the Eagles played so deep into the offseason. Uh, we've got the combine here. Draft talk is already hot, and uh, the free agent rumor mill is is kicking. So no better time to follow Jeff Kerr on the Twitter machine at Jeff Kerr CBS. Check out his stuff at CBS Sports. And uh, watch his show on Jacob Sports. That's uh, on the YouTube, uh, but there's also podcasts of his shows. Good morning, NFC East. You're going to want to check that out. Jeff, when does that show air and how do people see it? So right now we're actually on hiatus. I don't think we're coming back till the draft, uh, but normally it's on 7 to 8. Uh, I'm just going to be making appearances on Birds 365 for the time being. All right. Yep. Well, maybe we'll be passing in the like two ships in the in the sea there because I'm on with Jody and John quite a bit as well. So uh, make sure you're checking everything Jeff's got going on. You'll find everything he's got over at his Twitter account again at Jeff Kerr CBS. Jeff, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy, buddy. I appreciate Always it. Always a pleasure, John. And that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Friends, just remember to head on over to BleedingGreenNation.com and check out all the stuff we have over there. You can read the two articles that, that I wrote this week. Also, check out all the other podcasts we have for you here at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Lots for you to dump into your earballs. Very cool new show uh, that we just uh, did, a new draft show with Bleeding Green Nation's uh, podcasts. And uh, Shane Half and uh, his crew did an excellent job with their first round mock draft so you want to check that out as well thanks everybody for tuning in we'll talk to you next time here on eye on the enemy B G N.